What is this? Baby, don't spoil me. Don't spoil me. No more. The following podcast might contain spoilers for the movie Black Panther. <laughs> Welcome to Diabolical, the show where four long-suffering friends dissect films' most dastardly schemes, then try to improve them. I'm your host, Craig, and this week's movie is Black Panther. So... Allow the heart-shaped herb to restore the powers of the Black Panther and take you to the ancestral plane. And let's get diabolical. As ever, I am joined by our panel of peril. Please introduce yourselves and tell us who's the superhero or supervillain you most closely identify with, and why? I'm Gaz, and the superhero that I most closely identify with is Night Owl from Watchmen. He's a bit over the hill, a bit overweight, but, you know, still give it a good try. And uh, he gets his knob wet, doesn't he, in Watchmen? That's what you like, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, <laughs> that's <laughs> where I most closely identify with Night Owl. Oh, oh, oh. Lowering the expectations oh, in the bedroom, though. Oh. <laughs> Night Owl's the only character in Watchmen who does have sex, so mm. quite the opposite. Biggity boo, biggity boo, biggity boo, boys. Ben here, coming at you like a bucket of frogs. I hope I get to edit this one because none of that will be in. <laughs> <laughs> the superhero I most identify with is Raphael from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, nice. I'm cynical, I'm sarcastic, and I'm cool as a Danish witch's ice cube tray. <laughs> I want to change mine now, and actually I want us all to change the turtles. We should have just done that. Yeah. Who's the turtle you most closely identify with and why? <laughs> if we all had a different one, that'd be great, wouldn't it? I think Gaz would be Michelangelo. What? Yeah. Donatello, wouldn't it? No, I'm Donatello. You are Michelangelo. <laughs> Going to argue about his. You're April O'Neil. We went over this. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off, Splinter. <laughs> <laughs> to break this turtle's loop, I, I'm going to do it in the most probably, I don't know, inconspicuous way of doing so. The superhero I most relate to is Powdered Toast Man. <laughs> Powdered Toast Man! <laughs> Basically, because he has a power of super flatulence and um, people do. <laughs> Call him um, Toasterific, which is obviously what people refer to me as as well. So Perfect. And as for me, Craig, the superhero with whom I most closely identify with is Spider-Man, because I'm usually broke and I have a black cat that keeps stabbing me in the back. (laughs) (sighs) Oh, that's a bit harsh. I thought it was quite good. Later, they'll be competing for the title of this week's Most Diabolical. But first, let's take a closer look at this week's movie, Black Panther. 2018's Black Panther was a milestone for the Marvel Cinematic Universe and for fantasy action movies in general, both in terms of storytelling and critical and audience reception. Featuring a predominantly black cast portraying both African and African-American narratives and exploring Africa's relationship with America and the Western world, The film was widely praised and well-received, garnering seven Academy Award nominations and cementing its place in history as the first superhero movie to be nominated in the coveted Best Picture category. In a franchise that is often reflexively accused of producing chocolate chip trope-filled cookie-cutter stories with a studio-imposed tight rein on look and feel, Black Panther was an early undeniable standout, with director and co-writer Ryan Coogler making his presence felt. Reteaming with frequent collaborator Michael B. Jordan, Kugler presents a powerful, confident tale that expertly balances pathos and brutality with warmth, humour and adventure in a film that is also visually striking and bold. Late lead star Chadwick Boseman exemplifies all of these qualities in a performance that surpasses memorable and becomes a legacy. The final product deftly blends James Bond-style thrills with Godfather-esque dynastic drama, outlandish superhero action, 
and a vibrant celebration of culture and tradition, juxtaposing concepts of vulnerability and invulnerability, and truthfully exploring its biggest theme, as vocalized by its protagonist in the final act, that more connects us than separates us, and in times of crisis, the wise build bridges while the foolish build barriers. It's time for the debut of our popular segment, MCU Fuck Marry Kill. It's the debut of our popular segment. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming that it will be uh, popular. It is a recent tradition. Only one week old, but a tradition nonetheless. <laughs> we'll take some themed sets of three MCU heroes and must choose one to legally wed, one to make passionate love to, and one to put in the cold, cold ground. For reasons of propriety, we will not be giving our thoughts on any women under 30. As Ben is not au fait with the MCU, I'll say that choices can be based on either the characters or the actors who play them. So let's start with the Chrises. Evans, Hemsworth, Pratt, America's Ass, Thor, and Star-Lord. Fuck Hemsworth. Because I think he's got pretty good stamina. I think he'd be be a bit of a goer. Marry Chris Evans because uh, he's got a heart of gold and he'd treat you right. Mm. And kill Chris Pratt because he's a bit of a dickhead, isn't he? <laughs> All right. Ben? I don't know who any of them are, but <laughs> I would not marry Chris Pratt because I'd have the surname Pratt and I don't want that. Ben Pratt? No. No, thank you. <laughs> so I'll kill him. Which one of them's Thor? Chris, Chris Hemsworth. I'll make sweet love to him mm. <laughs> and I'll just like weep on his sweet pecs. And then I guess I'll marry whoever's left over. <laughs> well, <laughs> all right. <laughs> and Adam. Well, I'd kill Chris Hemsworth because he's absolutely massive and it's like bragging rights that you've killed somebody absolutely huge. Okay. So that'll be good. What, so you're going to go around just telling people that you've killed someone huge, like in the pub and See that? how big it is. Massive. I'll be like, look at me, look at me, look at the size of me. And I, I killed him, killed him. Killed him? Do you want to fuck with me now? No. no. <laughs> I would still, yeah, definitely marry uh, Chris Evans because um, he's loyal, he's got big, big arms to cuddle you with, and his conflict resolution is second to none. <laughs> uh, and then I would fuck Chris Pratt. Okay. No reason, just because he's the one that's left? <laughs> uh, that is uh, my secret. <laughs> All right. I'd fuck Thor for the lovely stew cuddles. I'd marry Captain America because Chris Evans seems like a nice knitted sweater husband. And I'd kill Star-Lord because of his silly banter and impetuousness in Infinity War. (laughs) That worked well. (laughs) Got anything else you can put just do quickly in his place? Just in case. (laughs) Oh, you start the awkwardness. It's funny. (laughs) I came up with my own list of fuck, marry, kill. Go on. Oh, okay. What? Just to understand the rules of any game. What's, you just no. pick three people that you randomly want to fuck, marry, and kill. <laughs> I need to hear this. I need to hear it. Come on. <laughs> this is, well, it's not gender balance, obviously, but it's it's weighted in uh, the male form. Right. Um, I would kill Iron Man for his, yeah. for his betrayal, <laughs> his... Uh, his general smugness and his hand in genocide by creating weapons. Mm. I would still marry Chris Evans for the reasons I stated before. Mm-hmm. And I would fuck Michelle's Pfeiffer's Catwoman. Yeah, lovely. <laughs> she's not in the MCU even. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You heard his reasoning. She's lovely. So there you go. She's lovely. All right. Anyone else want to pick? Yeah, I'd, you know, I'd fuck her. I'd make sweet love to Danny DeVito as the penguin. <laughs> <laughs> in his mouth or his nostrils I'd, uh, I'd, I'd kill Michael Keaton as Batman just so I don't get confused with Billy Crystal anymore <laughs> then I'd uh, I'd marry um, Arnie Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze <laughs> as Dr. Freeze because I know he could take care of my medical needs this was meant to be our prestige episode like Howard's Way or Sophie's Choice Gus <laughs> What are we saying, MCU or all superheroes? I think it's isn't it just anyone from history. I think it is. No, all superheroes. <laughs> just pick who you like. <laughs> I would marry Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man. I would fuck Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man. <laughs> and I would kill Tom 
Holland Spider-Man. <laughs> God almighty. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd fuck Marie Antoinette. I'd marry, I don't know, <laughs> Sam from Cheers. And uh, <laughs> I'd kill Idi Amin. There you go. <laughs> Black Panther follows estranged cousins T'Challa and Ninjataka as they each wrestle with the legacy of two very different upbringings, ultimately clashing ideologically and physically for the future of advanced but insular African nation Wakanda. Ultimately, the Black Panther bests Killmonger and opts to share Wakandan technology with the wider world. So, what did you think of the movie in general? I really like it. I remember having a conversation with someone I used to work with when it got nominated for Best Picture, and we both sort of agreed it shouldn't win Best Picture, but for Mm -hmm. kind of cultural importance, it deserves the nomination. I think it holds up as... yeah. Is an entertaining narrative with something deeper to say. I think it's quite surprising at points, like you mentioned, it's quite James Bondy in that sequence in South yeah. Korea, which is a, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Yeah, I think it's one of the MCU's stronger efforts. Yeah, I'd agree with all of that. Uh, so, Ben, I'm really interested in what you made of it, because obviously this is your uh, first experience of the MCU we've established before. So what do you think? I thought it was okay. Hmm. I didn't hate it. It was a bit like candy. It was pleasant enough, but I didn't find it satisfying. What kind of candy? I don't know, a pineapple chunk? Okay. <laughs> it wasn't as satisfying as like a grab bag of pickled onion monster munch, oh, for example. Well, that is satisfaction. <laughs> what, what movie is grab bag of pickled onion monster munch in? Oh, Labyrinth. Yeah, yeah, that's quite a good, uh, yeah. But I, I kind of get it. People like candy, right? A lot of people like candy. So studios make more of it. And so, fair enough, it makes sense. But I just don't think candy is for me. Give me yeah. a, I don't know, give me a Greg's pasty and a handy. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a metaphor, of course. <laughs> yeah. But also, I probably would prefer that to watching the film. No, I thought it was okay, really. Yeah, considering that you've vocalized on more than one occasion that you suspected that all superhero movies followed a very strict narrative and that you didn't want to watch them because they're all the same the fact that you went into it with an open mind i think is is fair enough i really enjoyed it i was purposely late to the party and watching black panther when it was released because there was so much hype around it and i didn't want to be dragged into all the bullshit with the press you know going on about it forever and i wanted to take my own time to appreciate for what it was and i and i really really enjoyed it and i enjoyed watching it again now i think it's a movie that Unlike a lot of the other MCU films, it's got heart and you can tell it means a lot to the majority of the actors that are taking part. Uh, it's probably got a bit more like spiritual or mysticism now because Chadwick Boseman's no longer with us anymore and he's since passed on and stuff, but he's going to remain this icon of the movie and probably the franchise as long as it goes on, I guess. But then it, obviously it's, it's roots as well where the movie came from, from the the, the comic back written in the uh, 60s and the history of that, and then knowing that it, it was written in 66. And then in 1967, the Black Panther Party was was formed and it's taken the name from basically from the comic and everything. And there's that. And with if you look into some of the history, the history of the film itself and some of the media that was coming out at the time, um, like there's a picture of Michael B. Jordan and he's sat in a sort of same sort of garb and similar kind of pose as to Black Panther's founding, one of the founding members of Black Panther, Huey P. Newton. So there's a lot of stuff linked to the actual civil rights movement and that particular armed com- you know, armed uh, uprising or standing up for civil rights and things like that so it's 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 massively important as just as a as a but it's frustrating really that it's taken this long to get where we are with that movie and that this movie should have been made a long time ago 20 years ago probably yeah there's been various attempts to get it made wesley snipes wanted to Mm. make it just didn't all come together Mm. marvel's had a, a long problem with like rights issues passing 
from place to place. I don't know. I think it's good that it came out when it did because everything converged to make it work the way that it did. Everything came together just right. And obviously, Chadwick Boseman sadly passed away, but it's great that he got to do this first. I think that that's meaningful. It says a lot about the impact that the character had that in sort of the big finale, uh, Infinity War, the Avengers film. Uh, that quite a substantial amount of that trailer is built around Black Panther and the fact that Wakanda plays a major role in mm. that finale. You probably wouldn't yeah. have thought that a year earlier. No, no, it is. That's the when I think about the, uh, those two films. That's like when you merge them. That's the standout thing from both those films is where they have the battle there and stuff. And yeah, it's it's awesome. Yeah, Wakanda is like wonderfully realised. It looks like people live there. Also uses a lot of Afro-futuristic uh, ideas in terms of architecture, but also incorporates a lot of traditional African housing from like, across the continent. Yeah, it looks stunning, uh, but also believable, like lived in. Yeah. Interestingly, speaking about the look of Wakanda, Ava DuVernay was originally slated as the director for Black Panther. Yeah. The reason that she said she she departed the, the project was because herself and Marvel couldn't agree on how to visualise Wakanda. So I just I wonder what she had in mind mm. for it. How, how, mm. Presumably it was significantly different for her to leave over it. Yeah. You said earlier, Craig, about my kind of feeling that these movies tend to be uh, formulaic. And I still got that feeling with this film, to be honest with you, especially the third act. I think you could swap it with a, a few different films. That, and as long as you Photoshop the costumes, you'd probably get away with it. Yeah, I think you're right there. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah. What I think is the highlight of the film, and it really kind of made me sit up and, and take notice, was the midpoint twist. For the first half of the film, you know, in your mind, it's Andy Serkis' character that's the, the main villain, right? Mm. And then kind of mm. boom, the reveal, it's mm. Michael B. Killmonger. <laughs> it was a really good twist. I was starting to drift a little bit and that kind of brought me back into it. I thought it was a really good twist. Yeah. But I thought, I thought, I still felt it was, there, there, it was very, uh, very formulaic in places. I get you with that as well, yeah. I don't think that's totally fair. I think the ideological conflict that you get between the protagonist and antagonist in this there's there's much closer than they tend to be usually you've got like your professor x character and your magneto character and their ideologies are so diametrically opposed that it creates the conflict but in this they kind of almost want to achieve the same thing in different ways or by the end you know t'challa does anyway Mm. so yeah, you don't you don't often get that level of depth in, or you certainly didn't used to in comic book movies. Anyway, that's fair. But what I was talking about in the third act was was the final fight, basically. Oh yeah, I mean the fight's not yeah. anything special, and in fact, the CGI is is quite ropey and dicey in that. All of the CGI for um, the Black Panther did look dicey, but there was one shot that actually I thought was superb, and I think that was when. Black Panther was hit by a rhino and the camera's close up on his face mm. and you're watching him fly through. I thought that was really mm. nice. Yeah, that's straight out of the comic, that moment. So I think they took extra care to make sure they nailed that. That might be one of the shots of the film, that. It was excellent. Yeah. You can't beat armoured rhinos charging into battle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was cool. I'll give you that. Don't get that in most superhero films. Directly quoting your letterbox review there. Is that what I wrote, is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Before, Gaz, you said the South Korea sequence was very James Bond. Mm. Listen to this in my notes. I've written this film as Lion King meets Star Wars meets James Bond. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's cool as hell, that South Korea sequence. Very, very James yeah. Bondy in a casino. Yeah. Bad guys all around. There's a CIA guy. So, yeah. Yeah. He just needs some sort of reptilian animals to have to escape from as well, doesn't he? <laughs> But I, I understand what Ben's saying about the the third act. It's that that's just modern action filmmaking, isn't it? They're they're all sort of quite quite similar at the end. But for me, it, it's the concept of psychic wounds plays a big part with Killmonger, which is a really interesting subject. Which, as it would suggest, is about how historical trauma plays across an entire body of people in this instance, African Americans and and Africans. Obviously, Jewish people who have the shadow of the Holocaust. By the time you get to Killmonger's 
final scene watching the sunset i think it's incredibly moving mm. and i think it's dealt with in quite a lot of depth for for what's a crowd pleasing blockbuster mm. five six seven years ago you wouldn't have seen these sorts of things mm. in certainly superhero films but action cinema at large i don't think it was important for the success of this movie that it had to be both of those mm. things it had to be a crowd pleasing blockbuster to get the deeper message to a wider audience mm. if it had just been heavy-handed you know if the final act had not had a superhero one supervillain meta battle in it then comic book audiences would have switched off they wouldn't have been happy with that mm. kind of almost feel like he, he should have lived kawanga should have lived in a way because he sort of almost does doesn't he for a bit and then he just collapses doesn't he and stuff and you think oh maybe he's gonna he's seen the sunset and that's this you know I thought maybe that was like be the sunset, not just on his life, but maybe on his 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 past beliefs and stuff like that. And then he obviously dies and stuff. Yeah. What does he say? Bury me at sea, like my ancestors who jumped from the boats rather than live in bondage. He just like mm-hmm. Jesus. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a hell of a line. Yeah. yeah, and also very very subtle. I don't know. I think I read this in um, in a review at the time. The film opens in 1992 and playing on the TV in Njobu and James's room is footage of the Rodney King riots kicking off and they don't mm. make a big deal out of it yeah but it's it's just it's there to say this is the world yeah yeah it's a very very nice subtle touch though can I ask you what you thought of uh, Martin Freeman I'm not against Martin Freeman in principle I accept his right to exist and to act but <laughs> I think you know. I've I've seen the first Hobbit film, and I didn't need to see the other two. Aww. And I've seen <laughs> Black Panther, and I would rather that he wasn't in Wakanda forever, but mm. he is. <laughs> the thing about his character is he functions as that kind of character to introduce you to a brand new world, to be all like wide-eyed mm. and say, "What's this?" and then it can be explained to the audience. Yeah, but we've already been in Wakanda for about an hour by the time he gets there. So there's literally no purpose to his character whatsoever. It was an odd decision. I felt they just needed to bring in someone who was an ex-pilot to do that last bit. And my eyes were burning. They were rolled so far back in my head. It was just like this throwaway George Lucas line. You used to be an ace pilot. Now hop in there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I haven't flown for a while, but I'll give it a go. Apart from the uh, casino scene, anybody got any favorite moments? The first one I wanted to mention is the animated prologue scene, which you don't get enough of these days. I wish they'd bring those back. It's cool that he uses that granular, you know, visualization tech that they use in the movie as well. That was, it was, it looked great, but it was a big ask from the off. I think the line is something like vibranium the strongest substance in the universe and already my eyes were rolling one how the fuck do you define strongest the strongest substance you can call it names and it doesn't fucking bat an eyelid yeah that's it just hit it with a hammer and then call it a twat twat bang twat bang twat bang so that was a really big hurdle for me and I, I was trying to go in as open minded well, and that was like the first line I was like for fuck's sake really I'm, I'm so confused Surely it's just a term that most people can understand. Is it stronger than steel? Yeah. Okay, I get it. It doesn't say that. It just says it's the strongest substance in the universe. It's implied, surely. It's so so broad. It says it's the strongest substance, and then suddenly you've got all this mad tech. And you were like, I don't understand if that means strongest physically or strongest emotionally. Yeah, or strongest as in it's like a power source. I really didn't know. I'd say, Ben, you, you struggle with suspending your disbelief anyway most of the time, so I think that's probably... Yeah, I do. I do. I don't know. If we were talking about a, a movie that you loved from your childhood, like a Conan, which is full of absolute bullshit terms that don't mean anything in real life, we wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> do I think it is as well? It's, it's because it was set in present day, right? Mm-hmm. Right. That's hard for me to get over as well. If they'd done this on another planet, I think I'd be, I'd be in. Totally. Mm. I can't reconcile that. I think there's a lot of that, like with Iron Man as well. That kind of, it's this kind of crazy technology, mm. but it's supposed to be in a contemporary setting. And it's really hard for me to reconcile that. And I, I do struggle. Put me in Labyrinth with fucking David Bowie <laughs> in a fantastic cod piece. And I'm fucking, <laughs> I'm right in. Play me this balls. <laughs> I've got a couple of cool moments that I like. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm a big, big fan of the uh, Dora Milaje and Okoye, Danai Guerrero. Uh-huh. I, she's yeah. so fucking cool. Anytime that she gets an action scene and that like tribal chanting kicks in, yeah. I'm like, fuck yeah, hairs on my arms. <laughs> she's awesome. Yeah, and she throws the wig so as a weapon. Frozen wig is a weapon. Yeah, that's great. She's, um, she plays Michonne in Walking Dead as well, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. she's oh, she's badass in in yeah. that as well, isn't she? Yeah, totally badass. Yeah, she's yeah. she's great. So she's yeah. one of the best things. That, and then Andy Circus, he's always great. Andy Circus, yeah, he's never choose the scenery in this, doesn't he? Yeah. Oh yeah, big time. That's why I like it. Yeah. Yeah, like Letitia Wright is Shuri is doing her little um, cue role and stuff like that, and, and yeah. constantly giving backhanded comments to her brother and stuff like that, which is awesome. So, and then she obviously comes out fighting as well towards the end, so it gives a different dynamic. The other uh, sequence that I wanted to bring up is the uh, the ancestral plane. Uh, the mm. first time that T'Challa goes there, and the tree is filled mm. with actual black panthers, panthers. and one yeah. jumps down, and it's yeah. Yeah. One jumps down. It's cool. um, T'Chaka. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's um, it was a very Lion King. Mm. Yeah, the coloring even. Yeah, yeah. But you know that's yeah. come from somewhere, right? So you know Disney didn't invent those ideas. Craig, I'm either. not attacking you personally. It's just a just an observation. Yeah, and I'm just <laughs> you know defending that observation as well. He's I'm not attacking def- you he's personally. Defending either. the honor of Black Panther. I'm simply saying that you could say. Oh, that's quite Lion King, but ignoring all of the things that influence Lion King would be a bit unfair. It kind of implies it's not that I'm ignoring them; it's just I don't know what they are. Can you name any? Uh, no. Well, there we go. Let's move on. <laughs> Hamlet. <laughs> I've got four tight bits of trivia. If you want to hear them. Come on then, Triff King. All right. In the Black Panther comics, Lupita Nyong'o's character, Nakia, was a former Dora Milaje in whom T'Challa had no romantic interest. And her jealousy of his American fiancé led her to betray the pair. She was later left for dead by one of the Black Panther's adversaries before being found by Killmonger, who resurrected her as the supervillain Malice. So uh, maybe we'll see... A heel turn from her at some point in the MCU. I've heard of Malice. Yeah. Yeah. Malice Cooper. (laughs) Uh, The leopard print on Killmonger's Black Panther costume is reminiscent of comic book version's pet leopard prey. So in the the comics, Killmonger has a pet leopard. Okay. You'd find that difficult to suspend your disbelief there, wouldn't you? (laughs) As uh, we've touched on briefly, it's no coincidence that Eric Kilmunger is raised in Oakland, California, as this was the real-life headquarters of the Black Panther Party. And the 2021 movie, Judas and the Black Messiah, which depicts the real-life Black Panthers, stars Daniel Kaluuya, who played the border tribe leader Wakabi. Uh, right. And it was yeah. produced by Black Panther director Ryan Cooper. Mm. Yeah, right. As Turner mentioned earlier, the comics character was created two months prior to the founding of the party. Mm-hmm. Comics not named after the movement. And the comic was actually briefly rebranded as the Black Leopard to disambiguate the two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there you go, four little bits of triv. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Nice. Just speaking of Daniel Kaluuya, he was excellent. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Actually, the whole cast. Yeah, it's yeah. a fantastic cast. The, all the performances. Forrest Whitaker was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh. Forrest Whitaker. Wait, Forrest Whitaker. Blick Paitha. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> We crown the Blick Panther. Continue. What did you do? Did you take that off the tally and play it back? <laughs> just hold it just for Just for listeners, Gaz has got one of those little uh, keyring devices that when you press a button, it does the voice. <laughs> just for the listeners, that voice that you heard was not Forrest Whitaker. It was Forrest, how are you? Welcome to the pod. <laughs> well, should we do a quick interview with Forrest since he's here? <laughs> uh, did you just lift the or accent from straight from King of Scot, last King of Scotland? Why, yes, I did for the Blick Bytha. <laughs> I don't know if this is okay. <laughs> 
Why wouldn't it be? It's not Forrest Whitaker's real accent. <laughs> He's doing it. Why can't Gaz? Yeah, but it's okay for him to do <laughs> it enough. because it's not cultural appropriation, is it? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it is. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it was Gaz's idea. We can all agree on that, can't we? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Any publicity is good publicity, though, isn't it? So Cancellation. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to just give a favourite line. I've just got one. Well, I've got a few on here, but actually I'll just give one. It was an exchange between Martin Freeman's character and... Martin Freeman's redundant character. Yeah, <laughs> and Andy Circus. He goes, uh, quite the entourage. Do you have a mixtape coming out? And uh, he goes, yeah, actually there is. I'll send you the SoundCloud. <laughs> yeah. And he turns to his crony and goes, uh, have you got the link? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think he's meant to be serious right that's the impression i get from that i think so yeah yeah <laughs> yeah he was that's why it's so funny it's amazing <laughs> when when they're robbing the british museum and killmonger says that he'll take the axe and she's all like oh it's not for sale and he says how do you think your ancestors got these did they pay a fair price yeah that's a good line yeah that's great yeah. his final line like i said earlier is an absolute cracker yeah but there's also uh t'chaka in the ancestral plane when T'Challa is saying that he can't be the Black Panther. He's not. He's not qualified. Essentially, and T'Chaka says, "A man who has not prepared his children for his own death has failed as a father." Have I ever failed you? That's another fantastic piece of screenwriting. Mm. Yeah, it's the kind of thing I'd like to be able to say to my kids. But mm. you know, when I'm giving a pet talk, it's more like, oh, "Shut up, get on with Straighten it, up and fly right, <laughs> just fucking do it." <laughs> 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 do you say it in English or do you say it in Japanese? Yeah, uh, we speak English. It's it's more cutting, isn't it? Shut up. So we make sure you insult them. So I make sure I, I just barrage them with British insults. <laughs> Get them ready for the real world. If you don't mind, I'll I'll say my insults in the, in the kings. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, you got any favourite lines or? Just where you first introduced the sh- uh, Suri and she says to Charla, how many times do I have to teach you just because something works doesn't mean it can't be improved? And I just like that. Yeah. And that is kind of like that line is talking about everything, right? It's not just mm-hmm. talking about exactly yeah. his balls. Balls, the shaft, the tip, <laughs> everything. <laughs> <laughs> So, what did we think of Killmonger's scheme? It's another long one in the make, isn't it? Yeah. Very long. Best served cold. When his opportunity comes, he's very decisive and he takes it and, yeah, he's successful in getting the throne but not holding on to it. It's quite clever how he, he gets his way into Wakanda by tricking Claw into thinking they're allies, but really he just wants his dead body to mm. drag in to say, mm. look what yeah. I did it's for great, you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I also think it was ice cold and really well thought out. I'm awarding it 10 Florence of Broccoli. Too shabby. He pretty much got away with it. Mm. It was only the fact that he peacocked a bit in the ritual combat, Mm. which uh, I'll cover a bit later. Don't you worry about that. (laughs) Yeah, but I guess if you throw somebody off a 100-foot waterfall, you'd probably expect them to be dead at the bottom, wouldn't you? Yeah. So it's kind of like... Yeah, but then it's just the way that the way that he deals with his uh, power after that. He just goes right. I've got a throne. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring equality to my, to my brothers and sisters, and then he just goes on about killing basically. So he doesn't understand the quality of of mercy, and T'Challa does. And because T'Challa spares Mbaku, he's the reason, obviously, that T'Challa survives for as long as he does. They do their best to keep him from death. Mm. So that is is the reason. It's that. Killmonger doesn't understand the quality of mercy. Yeah, because he says a life for a life, doesn't he? Um, Mbaku does. Yeah, it's a good plan, isn't it? But he, he just he both overplays his hand and he lets his own pain and trauma run away from him at the end, which is is his undoing. This is the part of the show where our panel of peril compete for the title of this week's most diabolical, and with it the honour of choosing next week's movie and hosting the show. Killmonger wanted to usurp the throne of Wakanda and become the Black Panther in order to get revenge for his father's murder and use the nation's advanced vibranium weaponry to liberate people of African descent across the world and rule over them. 
but the plan was unsuccessful. Gareth, what would you have done differently? He's not going to do it all in that accent, is he? <laughs> <laughs> that would be cancelable. <laughs> Killmonger is a CIA operative and mercenary determined to seize control of the planet through conventional means of warfare via land and air. Presumably the sea is out of bounds to be confirmed in Wakanda forever. Given where this film takes place in the MCU timeline, the most logical improvement to his plan would have to be seeking out the Infinity Gauntlet. But that just opens up several cans of worms with him having to haul ass to Asgard, Vormir, and most terrifying of all, Scotland. Just kidding, what's the script? We love you. <laughs> but da, 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 what if Killmonger had taken a trip to Bleecker Street and Dr. Stephen Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum? But we all know that Strange is in possession of a certain Eye of Agamemnon or the Time Stone. That's right. Just like the transsexual Transylvanians from last week's episode, we're going to be doing the time warp again. I would have Killmonger burgle this trinket instead of the Axon mask from the British Museum and then travel back with Wakandan technology to the first Angolans enslaved by the Portuguese in 1619. He would then give them the means to defend themselves. Enough future technology to seize the power if they wish to. With the technology in place, he could then travel back to a point in time and sever T'Chaka's bloodline by offing the Black Panther before he can be coronated. The line of succession would then pass to Njobu, who would rule over Wakanda and by extension the world, ensuring that young Killmonger would grow up with a father as a prince and with a throne placed on top of the world, waiting for him to sit upon once nature takes its course, perfectly balanced as all things should be. So could you explain the... Travelling back to off the bloodline again. So he kills the dad before he can be conceived. And then the line of succession passes to Killmonger's dad, who becomes Black Panther. And then it will pass to Killmonger once his dad dives of natural causes. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Marvellous. Doctor Strange, would he help him out, do you think, for a wicked plan? No, he'd burglarise him. He'd burglarise him, man. He'd even know how to use that particular stone. It's not fucking hard. Kids are using all that shit in <laughs> Spider-Man No Way Home. Time... <laughs> <laughs> Is time travel normal in that universe? I wouldn't say it's normal, but it has happened. It's okay. central to the plot of one, of, at least two of the films, actually. Okay, fair enough. Is it in a DeLorean or...? <laughs> no. No, it's in like a, a tuk-tuk. <laughs> even better. It's in the back of a shitty van at one point. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, okay. My questions were going to revolve around the timeline of uh, Doctor Strange's arrival in the MCU, and then the other one was going to be about the bloodline, because I thought you were suggesting that you could cut off T'Challa's bloodline in 1619, and I was going to call shenanigans on that. <laughs> no, but now I no, see what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had to hear it again to get it. <laughs> All right, let's hear from Adam next then, please. Well, just channel the power of the Black Panther myself, because... I've got my own little Black Panther, just here, my big black cat Rolo. He's been helping me. As I've already said, Killmonger's rise to power is another long time in the make, but his opportunity, when it comes, is seized and his ascension is decisive. However, he makes the same old mistake of not being 100% sure his foe is defeated. While his reasons for uh, wanting to become king and noble, his methods are questionable and divisive. On taking the throne, Killmonger decides to act in a more diplomatic nature. He sends out emissaries to all nations on the African continent in an attempt to heal old wounds and unite all Africans under one banner, offering all African nations a share of Wakanda's technology and prosperity. Killmonger's only condition is they proclaim him King of Africa. Given the huge advance in tech and the massive advance in living standards, most nations agree. Those leaders that don't face uprisings from their own citizens and hostility from nations that support the king. As the new king gathers nations and supporters to him, T'Challa arrives back on the scene to find his nation and continent united. Still carrying the burden of his father and the generations before failure to reach out to the world beyond their borders, his loyal support of years gone by has evaporated. Even his sister can see the new king has his charms. There is no way back for T'Challa. As his power and influence grows, watching as his continent makes up for generations lost, 
Killmonger's gaze drifts to Europe and the US as he begins to dream of future possibilities. Okay, so... T'Challa's still alive, though, isn't he? Yes, that, yeah. I've discovered that, because when he comes, T'Challa comes back in, in the, the film itself, mm. Wakanda is a bit divided, and his, he doesn't have anybody really loyal to him. So it's quite easy to, to, to basically say, oh, the, the fight's not finished. And they've got plenty of people to say, no, T'Challa's still, still the king, essentially. Mm. What causes this sudden change of heart after he's launched someone off the side of a waterfall? He's had enough of basically the old regime, like any regime change. The, the uh, Killmonger's fed up of all that, basically. And he holds that bloodline responsible for his... Well, they've held him responsible for not his ascension to the throne, basically. Yeah. Up until that point, he takes the throne. And you think, well, it's going to go one of two ways. And he goes the bad way. But in my version, he doesn't. He, he has the... He has so like slide indoors type thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And uh, Ben... Let's hear your plan, please. All right. Well, I'd follow Michael B. Killmonger's plan pretty much step for step. I'd whack off Gollum, (laughs) and then I'd make for Wakanda. (laughs) I'd challenge the king to ritual combat, but instead of throwing him off the waterfall, I'd decapitate him in front of his loyal subjects. Nice and slowly. That way, there'd be no chance he'd come back later to haunt me. Actually, allow me to share a public service announcement for villains while we're here. Always make sure your foe is actually vanquished before you go about your business. Don't head to the bog while a laser inches closer to your enemy's crotch. <laughs> Shoot him in the head, then go and enjoy the kind of blissful bowel release that only comes from knowing that your <laughs> hero won't be popping back to foil your plans. Apologies for that interruption, gentlefolk, but uh, I think we can all agree that that needed to be said. And I wanted to be a, a little bit lighthearted, as this is going to get real dark real quick. <laughs> Oh, it's not over. I thought you were, I thought you were done. <laughs> With the Black Panther's head on a pike in my living room, I'd move to the next stage of my plan, which would include liberating everyone on the planet. Africa, as they say, is the cradle of all human life, after all. I'd send out about 50 of my ships to the world's largest centers of government and finance. Then at my command, they would reveal themselves and unleash unbelievabranium-powered weapons leveling these monuments of archaic power to the ground. I'd basically have them recreate the explosion scenes from Independence Day. Obviously, the news would be dominated by reports of the UFO attacks, and that's when I'd get my tech guys to broadcast the following audio message that could be easily picked up by radios, but untraceable. We are the creators. See, I'd pinch my nose to make it sound a bit more alien. (laughs) Eons ago, we sparked life on this planet. We believed it to be our finest achievement. But with this gift, you have killed and maimed. You have polluted and spread inequality. You have disappointed us, and today you paid the price. But we believe you can be saved. If you work together as equals, each working for the benefits of the other, you will find salvation. But should you displease us again... We will destroy you all. We will be watching. And just to be clear, that means no more racism, pollution, economy, or mansplaining. Then, I'd simply keep my eye on the news. Anytime a country steps out of line or some dictator rises up, I'd send my invisible ships to wipe them out and send a reminder message to the media. Hmm. Quite similar to um, Ozymandias' plan in uh, Watchmen, is the only thing I would say. If I didn't know any better, I'd say there's a little bit of plagiarism there, but I'm also 99.999% certain that you've never read Watchmen. So, <laughs> Never read Watchmen, no. He said uh, head on a spike. Pike. Pike, yeah, on a pike. The fish. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Would there be some sort of bowl to uh, capture blood underneath this pike? Asking the important questions as ever. <laughs> there would be, yeah, and it, it, would, be, it, it would be decorative. Decorative uh, in what style? Ooh, uh, Art Deco, African. <laughs> it's that <a> style. <laughs> I was going to suggest um, one of those Rice Krispies ones that you saved up the tokens for, and it's got Snap, Crackle, and Pop on it. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, yeah, you've, I've, I guess that, that's my favorite thing of the day. <laughs> catching, catching blood in the bloody Snap, Crackle, and Pop bowl. Yes. That's, I mean, that's, that's the ultimate honor. Happy with that explanation? Yeah, no further questions. 
Right, I'm going to deduct some points for Adam for asking that question. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, the questions I have. First one being, do we think that Killmonger cares about pollution or mansplaining? Especially mansplaining. Is he bothered about mansplaining? <laughs> That one of his well, big concerns. Fifty well, percent of the world won't be bothered about mansplaining. Could you explain that to me, please? Sorry, I don't understand why. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's the magic, isn't it? <laughs> Repartee. <laughs> this one I'm going to forgive because this is where your lack of knowledge of the MCU goes against you, and unfairly, really, is that the people of this universe are already familiar with aliens and invasions and they've dealt with them so they wouldn't be particularly you know in awe of this yeah but my big my big concern with your plan is that you've forgotten about mbaku because they turn to him before they know that the child is alive so mbaku i think he would have challenged killmonger they would have given him the herb that they had with them and i think mbaku would have won Mm. that's what i think would have happened all right. Well, I've made some notes, and you know, I like uh, I like where all these plans are going. I think, like I said, the the bits that go against Ben are not necessarily fair because his lack of knowledge of the MCU. One thing I would say about Turner's plan is that he admitted quite early at the start that he got help from his cat Rolo, and that I think is against the rules. <laughs> That's like the opposite of the dog eating your homework, isn't it? The cat wrote it. Don't tell me, Rolo! Why did you have to sit in my lap? If you'd written the plan yourself without any help uh, from Rolo, I think that I, would have... I'm just... It's, uh, there's no paw prints on my paper, okay? All right. <laughs> Cats can't write, unfortunately. Well, some absolutely diabolical schemes there. For its use of an item that exists in this timeline and for nipping slavery right in the bud, I'm going to have to go with Gaz's plan. Huzzah! Yeah, that was good. That was good. Thank you. Also, because I like anything Marvel-related that's set around sort of 1600s time. Remember (laughs) Neil Gaiman 1602? Yes, it's very good. Very good. So we got to remember, one hour forty is Craig's sweet spot for length, and that sixteen hundred and two is his ideal uh, <laughs> point in time. <laughs> okay, Gareth, uh, you are this week's most diabolical, and you've got the honour of telling us what we're going to be watching next week. Well, I'm plumbing the depths, the depths of hell. Again next week. We're going back to horror and we're going to watch another Jordan Peele. He co-wrote the script for this one. We're going to watch 2021's legacy call, Candyman. Ooh. Oh, well. Candyman. Yeah. Candyman. Don't say it again. Don't say it. <laughs> what, Candyman? Candyman. Oh, the Candyman. <laughs> the Candyman. Can the Candyman. Can. Makes, uh, makes the world taste good. <laughs> Who can take the sunshine? <laughs> And sprinkle it with rain. Who can hook your eyes out? <laughs> Fill them with loads of bees. <laughs> you just fart? Someone, someone does. <laughs> Holy shit, that was huge. <laughs> was it really? I thought I you were dragging you... <laughs> your chair along the floor. <laughs> no, I was thinking, I wonder if that's picked up on the... I was just thinking, I because I went oh, like yeah, oh, loud and clear. Up a bit. Uh, normally I just go straight into a cushion. Yeah, I saw... <laughs> I saw you move as well, and I honestly thought you were just dragging a dining chair along the wooden floor. <laughs> <laughs> no, there you go. That's why. See, that's why wow. I told you. That's why I most um, associate myself with powdered toast, man. Is my super flatulence. Yeah, fair, fair enough. <laughs> I wouldn't lie in. Yeah, you uh, you check off gunders there, didn't you? <laughs> hey. Whoa. <laughs> 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 Excellent. And that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Thank you for listening. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you might get your podcasts from. It would also help to tell your friends in person 
and on social media help spread the word. Maybe you've got a friend who likes the MCU, but isn't a total fucking narcissist who can't allow things to exist that they don't enjoy, or that don't explicitly cater to their personal taste without just constantly shitting all over them. And any who expresses any joy into their existence, tell them. To catch all the latest from the Diabolical Podcast, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DiabolicalPod and on Facebook at Diabolical. Don't forget to join us next week when we'll be diving into the world of Candyman. And remember, build bridges, not borders. I'm not telling no one to not watch it, just I don't particularly like it. <laughs> well, that wasn't about you. That was about... <laughs> just hit home. That was about MCU fans who complain about new MCU things online because they're not exactly what they wanted. Even though you get like six films a fucking year, if one of them is not explicitly what they wanted, they're like... <laughs> okay final round it's the femmes fatale we've got elizabeth olsen's scarlet witch and the mcu character named most like a bond girl wonder maximoff (laughs) <laughs> Blue Meanie Nebula, as played by Eleven's Ten, Karen Gillan, and Norse Goddess of Death slash Queen of Hell, Hela, as embodied by Cat Blanket. All right, this time we'll start with Ben. How many people did you just say there? Yeah, I just, uh, just Three. got a load of names. Once. I, thought it was I did say to you, should I tell you who these are first so you know who they are? Knowing that you're all fucking morons and don't even know who <laughs> fucking... Even me! <laughs> Well, not you. Especially you. you. <laughs> <laughs> but especially Turner and Ben. 